Well, we've been looking for months now at, at Acts as the biblical model for church. And we're, so I want to start today where we've started numerous times now uh, in Acts 2.42 when the church came together and it says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And we talked about uh, different times about how the fellowship aspect of church is just as important as the apostles' teaching and the prayer and the communion. That fellowship comes from this Greek word koinonia, which means like participation or contribution or interaction, uh, communication, that, that this fellowship was everybody playing a part, that it wasn't just a one-man show, it was everybody together doing this thing called church. But then last week, we talked about how the way that we do things as Christ's disciples and as a church may have to change in the coming days as culture and, and community changes, and that we might have to find some new strategies. But one of the things that God has been teaching me is that when it comes to that, uh, evangelism is sometimes something we often overlook. And that reaching for the world for Jesus has a lot to do with the power that we have in our fellowship. Do you remember what Jesus prayed for us? We read this, it's been months ago now. Jesus prayed for us. He said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. He's prayed for us. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so that may, they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus prayed that we would experience such unity, such love for one another, such deep fellowship with one another that the world would know that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son into the world to die. And, and I, I believe that and I hope that even more than I did a few weeks ago. That as a country and as a world, that the more and more that we see division, the more and more that I believe that the unity of the church will be attractive and that the unity of the church will point people to Jesus. That by our unity, people will be pointed to and attracted to Jesus, that it's an event, our, 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 somehow the Bible says that our unity is a tool for evangelism. And it seems crazy. It seems like just us being unified and together and participating in fellowship, that that, that wouldn't be enough, that that couldn't happen. It seems like it really wouldn't, it wouldn't work as a way for people to coming, come to know Jesus but then you see it played out. So go back to Acts 2.42, and we'll read through verse 47. 
It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Verse 44 says, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So you see that unity that Jesus prayed for is now coming to fruition in the church. And it says, so it says they, met, they were doing all these things together, the Lord's Supper, shared meals, great joy, generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And it says, here's the results, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Their unity, their ability to care for, love one another, drew people to the church and drew people to Jesus. Your ability to love and care for one another will draw people to Jesus. And it says that each day the Lord added to their fellowship, added to their koinonia, those who are being saved. And so that's what I want to talk about today. The Lord adding to our fellowship those who are being saved and how we can make that happen. And it's easy to forget that Christ's command to take the gospel into the world was given to a group of people. So you go to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples, to obey all the commands I have given you. Now, the word, when he says, I, all the commands I have given you, who's he talking to? He's talking to the disciples. So that you is a plural. In Acts 1.8, he says, but you, and he's not talking to just one person here. Again, he's talking to the disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Both of those commands that we hold so tightly to in the church and in the alliance and in the evangelical faith is he's saying that to a group of people when jesus sent the 12 disciples out to to proclaim the kingdom of god how did he send them out two by two he sent them in groups when jesus sent out the 72 how did he send them out did he send out one person here one person there one person there no he sent them out by twos Every time Jesus sent people out to proclaim the good news, it was in a group. It wasn't a large group, but it was a group. And then you read in Acts, and, and as you read through Acts, it's very rare to see anybody doing anything by themselves. In fact, a lot of the times that you read about 
people in the New Testament, especially in Acts, you hear about them in groups of two, just the way Jesus sent them out. I wonder if that maybe was on purpose. Hmm. You have Paul and Silas, you have Peter and John, you have Paul and Barnabas. They did things, they did this Christian life together. And there was no difference when it came to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people. And did you catch it? I don't know if you, did you catch, maybe I shouldn't say catch these days. Did, did you see it? You don't want to catch anything. No, not right now. Did you see it? Jesus sent them out two by two. They didn't go in big groups. Just two of them. You know, we're not supposed to be in, in big groups. We're supposed to be all socially distanced and all that kind of stuff right now. But we can do two. You can go take one other person and go. You and someone else. And so this fellowship of believers, this koinonia, this participation of believers started living out their faith together. And it's just so interesting to watch how they do that as you read through the book of Acts. We talked about it before. In Acts chapter 2, it says that they met in each other's homes. But where else was the place that they started living out their faith together? It says, verse 46, that they worshiped at the temple each day. But here's the interesting question. Why? Why'd they worship at the temple each day? I mean, they could worship anywhere. You see them worshiping anywhere and everywhere when they were with Jesus. And you can worship Anywhere, you can worship in your car, you can worship at your house, you can worship while you're working, you can worship while you're doing just about anything. And Christians, especially Christians, weren't really welcome at the temple. The temple was the Jews thing. And they weren't really big fans of the whole Jesus movement going on around them. So why, why go back to the temple where you're not really welcome? Well, I think, one, it was part of the tradition that they were used to. And we talked about tradition, that, that sometimes that can be a good thing and sometimes that, that can hold us back maybe a little bit. But that was the tradition that they were used to, although God was going to be changing that through some of the persecution that was going to be coming so that they, the disciples and the believers would go out into Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's interesting that we've come under some harder times lately as a nation, as a culture, as churches. And our, some of our traditions have had to change lately. If you haven't noticed, the chairs aren't quite normal. We're, we're do, having to do communion in a little bit different way. A lot of the things that we are used to, our traditions are having to change a little bit. So I wonder if we're facing hard times and we're having to 
look at changing some of our traditions, I wonder where God's wanting to send us. Because throughout the Bible, a lot of times it's when those times come that it's God kind of nudging people to go out, to send them somewhere. So I think that's part of the reason why the disciples were at the temple. But here's the second thing. The temple was the hub of Jewish culture. There were a lot of people there. There were a lot of people who would see this new church, this new, this new fellowship, this new spirit-filled, sanctified, better, Christ-empowered, koinonia, everyone sharing, loving together, unified, culturally, racially, socially diverse group of people yet unified and loving one another, sharing everything they have, being together. At the temple where all the people went and that was the focus of who they were, the disciples were able to live that out, all of that right in front of them. The miracles that were happening through them in Jesus' name were happening right in front of them at the temple. In Acts chapter five, in verses 12 to 14, it says, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Now, remember Solomon's Colonnade because it's gonna keep coming back up. So the, the, the disciples are performing miracles and signs and all the believers, would, they would meet in each other's homes and, and worship there and pray there and share meals and share the Lord's Supper and then they would go to the temple and they would do all of that in the temple, uh, right outside the temple in Solomon's colonnade. And in, in verse 13, it says, no one dared join them even though all the people had high regard for them. That they were, they were like the cool kids at school, that, you know, like the cool kids table at, at, at lunch. Like everybody like, had a high regard for them. Everybody liked them. Everybody thought like, I'd like to kind of be part of that group, but I'm not going over there. Like I'm, you know, like I'm not just gonna go sit at the cool kids table. Like, uh, no, you know, that... So that's kind of what was happening. All the believers were getting there. Everybody was watching them. Everybody saw what was going on. And they were, everybody was like, these guys, that, that group over there has got something going on. Like, I don't know if I want to just go walk over and be like, hey, guys, I'm part of your group now. But like, I want to be part of that. And so here's the neat part, though. So... Verse 13 says, nobody dared join them, even though they had high regard for them. But then look at verse 13. Well, or verse 14, it says, no one dared join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Verse 14, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. So even though they didn't want to go over where all the Christians were hanging out, even though they were like, I don't know if I should go... 
they were being invited in. They didn't think they were cool enough to sit at the cool kids' table, but they were paying attention and they wanted to be a part of it. And then the apostles would invite them into what was going on. Check this out. This is Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, again, two guys together, on the way to the temple, to their spot. They were heading to their spot, Solomon's Colonnade, because that's where the new believers hung out together. They pass a lame guy. He's begging. Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. You know, they say, silver and gold have I none, but... in, you know, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. There was a Sunday school song that I used to sing when I was a little kid about that. And he was walking and leaping and praising the Lord. But, but a lot of times when Jesus healed somebody, he'd say, pick up your mat and go home. Or, they'd, you know, or he'd heal a leper and he'd say, okay, go show yourself to the priest. That's not what happened with this guy. So they heal him and... And then they bring him to the temple. They bring him to where do you think they took him in the temple? Acts 3, starting at verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them where? In the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, when Peter saw this crowd, you know, that walked by this beggar every, every day going to the temple, and now the guy's like hanging on them and, you know, walking around and jumping and, you know, and he's like, come on, we're, we're going to go into the temple. We're going to go hang out. And, and he's now inviting this guy into the cool kid's table who definitely five minutes ago wasn't a cool kid. He, you know, he brings them in with all, this, all these other believers and this crowd comes, and when, this is verse 12, it says, when Peter saw this, he said, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us by, by our own power or godliness that we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. See, now he's turning it in to this evangelistic opportunity. He's turning it into the gospel. So the crowd all of a sudden is right around all, all the church at Solomon's Colonnade because they're using, the, they're going to the temple, they're using it as a, as a place to present Jesus to all of these Jewish people that need to hear it. And so he said, check out Peter, he's, he's not holding back. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified this servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him through Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We, again, now he's standing with all the other guys that hang out at Solomon's Colonnade. He said, we are... Let's see. I I lost my place. There. We are witnesses of this. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. 
It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that a times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who he has appointed for you even Jesus. And he goes on a little bit more, and in Acts 4, 4, it says that many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The church was being strategic in where they met. They went to where the community hub was, where the people needed to hear the gospel and would be receptive to it, to where people could see God working and see what God was doing, where a bunch of unbelievers were, because it's a Jewish temple. They went where a bunch of unbelievers were and just started living their lives out together so that they could hear the gospel. It'd be like us saying, okay, next week we're gonna just go have our service at a mosque. And then just, you know, we'll sing Waymaker and we'll sing This Is Amazing Grace and then I'll get up and preach just out, just out in the parking lot of the mosque. Probably wouldn't go over real well, but it probably didn't go over real well for the Jews in, the, in their temple either. So the question I have to ask you today is this. Where is your Solomon's colonnade? Where is your temple? Where is the place that you spend time that in your everyday life is a hub of the community? Where is it, where, where's the place that you spend time in your everyday life, it's a hub of the community with a largely unsaved population where they can see you living out your Christianity in a way that they want to join in. That they say you and a few other Christians hanging out and they're like, man, I'd like to hang out with those guys. Where is it that you can hang out with your Christian friends that is public, that is visible, that is natural, and that they could see your koinonia fellowship being lived out? Where you can be involved in the life of your culture and your community. Where people who don't believe can see you live out your faith. What is your Solomon's colonnade? Right now, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's online. Maybe it's through social media. Maybe that's part of your Solomon's colonnade. That's a hub of culture, right? That's where a lot of unbelievers gather. Maybe that's Solomon's colonnade or part of it. Maybe it's grocery stores. Maybe it's Walmart. Every time I go to Walmart, I see people I know. What if you and two, three other believers just went and hung out in the parking lot at Walmart and did your thing and maybe help people load some groceries or push back carts for people. I don't know. Work, Solomon's Colonnade. Got some un other believer friends at work. Your neighborhood, where's your Solomon's Colonnade? School when you go back in the fall? Is that a hub? Yeah. Is that a place where a lot of unbelievers go? I think so. 
So grab some Christian friends, hang out together, koinonia fellowship, pray together at lunch, encourage one another with Bible verses, boom, Solomon's colonnade. Look, you can't just go sit there. You can't just be on Facebook and be, you know, posting coronavirus memes or go to the grocery store and just shop with your head down. You have to go and be intentional. You have to go and be actively and visibly living out your Christianity in front of people. You have to be doing that with other believers. Let, let, let the world around you see you laugh and have fun and pray and share and let them see what Acts 2, 42 through 47 looks like in our culture today. You know, if you're going to the grocery store, I'm pretty sure everybody else in this room has to go to the grocery store at some point or another. So call up a Christian friend and say, hey, when are you going to the grocery store? I'll go with you. You're walking through the grocery store together. You can talk. You can encourage each other with some Bible verses. You can shoot, stop, and pray for one another. You can live, live it all out in a hub of people. Do you remember a few months ago we talked about all the different one another's in Scripture? There were, uh, we went through a big list of them. Uh, here's a few of them. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Romans 13, 8, love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Romans 14, 12 to 13, so then each of us will give an account to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Accept, this is Romans 15, 7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Ephesians 5, 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. First Peter 4.19, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You remember all those. You can live out those in here but the best place to live those out so that people will understand the gospel is out there. The unbelieving world can't see you live out all of the one another's in a church building. The unbelieving world can't see you living out all of those one another's and go, wow, I want to be a part of that. If you're only living those things out when you're in the church building or when you're in your homes, all of those one another's are meant to be lived out where other people can see it being lived out. You have to go to Solomon's colonnade. And we certainly can't live those things out in a normal church service. You can't live out all the one another's while you're sitting there looking at me. You can't live out all those one another's while you're singing, maybe a couple of them. You have to go out to live out all those one another's. 
And when the world sees you loving one another and living in harmony with one another, especially in a time and a season where there's not a whole lot of harmony happening, what if the world saw us living out what it is to live in harmony with one another and we are living in harmony with a bunch of different skin colors and a bunch of different ideologies only under one banner of Jesus Christ. Do you think that they would take notice and say, gee, I wish I was a part of something like that? I mean, so many people are talking about how, how much they would love to see racial reconciliation and, and, and people coming together. That happens in the church. So let's live it out in front of them so they can see it. It, it, let's get out to Solomon's Colonnade, wherever that is for us, so that people can see that and go, man, I'd like to be a part of that. I don't know how I can get to be a part of that. That's when we get to invite them into it. And look, even if somebody who, who doesn't believe, who's not a Christian, would come through the doors on a typical, traditional everybody in the church building kind of Sunday and they don't believe, even if they see us living out all the one another, if we just lived in the building all the time and they saw us living out the one another's in here, it wouldn't mean as much to people. It would be tainted. If people walk through the doors on a Sunday morning and see us being nice to one another and you know being harmony and forgive one another, they're going to go, well, that's church people in church. Like, what do you expect? Because they, they'll go, well, of course, that's how you're supposed to act in church. I've seen tons of unbelievers come in the church and say, oh, you know, well, I shouldn't lie because I'm in church. Well, I shouldn't swear because I'm in church. So if they see us, people who are in church all the time anyway, acting nice to one another and living in harmony and doing all the one another's in here, they're going to go, well, yeah, that's how you're supposed to act in church. I mean, sure, we're putting on a nice face and treating each other nice and, and you know, well, we're church people in a church, so of course that's how we'll act. They'll question the authenticity of it. Because let's be honest, with all the niceness that goes on in here Sunday morning, some of you question the authenticity of it. It's true. You're like, I don't know if they're really that nice. Like, I don't, like they're nice to me in here, but then when I get out there, I'm like, I don't know. They didn't even wave, you know. But, but if, if they see us living out all those one another's out there, they'll say, man, you know, if we get to Solomon's colony, we, we, we're living it out in, in the world. They'll go, man, look at the way they forgive each other. I've never seen anything like that. Look at the way they care for one another. I mean, look at Acts 42 through 47. They just shared everything they had. Somebody had need, all right, well, let's, Go sell, sell the property down the street and, and I'll just give it to them. Look at the way they care for each other. Look, look at the way they share everything. They'll go, man, look, they, they'll give 
to people when they ask for something and they don't even deserve it. They don't share with each other. They might not even have a whole lot of it themselves. The way they love each other, man, that's, that's awesome. I, I, that, that, that doesn't even make sense to me. Go back to Solomon's Colonnade. It's like, I don't know how, I, how to get in that group, but I want to be a part of that. And then they start seeing how we treat even, even people who aren't believers. And they go, man, the crazy thing is they love each other. And they're, I mean, that's crazy just within that group. But the crazy thing is that they love people that aren't a part of their group the same way. It doesn't matter if they look the same or act the same or if they have the same hair color, skin color, hobbies, passions, stances on things. Like those Christians, man, they love each other and they forgive each other and they give to each other. But, but they do that for people that aren't part of the group too. Do you think people would want to be a part of that? I do. And then they're being invited into this community because you're a Great Commission Acts 1-8 people group. So if you have people that are saying, man, I'd like to be a part of that, and then you're commanding the, or you're following the command to go and say, like, yeah, come on, be part of it. What do you think is going to happen? Fellowship added to their number each day those were being saved. Who could you invite into your Christian community so that they could see Christians loving each other? What if we went to Solomon's Colonnade, whatever that is, for you, and we met them on their territory rather than ours? In other words, what if we became missionaries who went and met people where they are? That's what our missionaries do. They go meet people on their territory and bring the gospel of Jesus with them. We need to be more than a family of believers. We need to be a gospel family of believers. We need to remember that the Great Commission in Acts 1-8 was said to a group and meant to be accomplished as a group. It's time for you to get involved with sharing your faith and evangelism, each and every one of you. That command's given to all of us, no matter what your age is, no matter who you are, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the command is for you to be sharing your faith and being involved in evangelism. And I understand when I say that, I make like 90% of you nervous. When I say, all right, you're going out and we're gonna do evangelism. All right, we're gonna go out and we're gonna share our faith. You're like, uh, I think I have something to do today. It's Father's Day, sorry. Look at my invisible watch. Oh, time to go. But what if it wasn't a you individual thing? What if it was a you corporate thing? If it was you, a group of you thing? 
where groups of you are coming together with your loving Christian friends and each of you with your own gifting and talents and personalities inviting people to join you because Jesus is a regular part of what you do in your everyday life. Jesus was just part of your gatherings and it rubbed off on non-believers because Jesus is part of what you do when you get together as believers. You talk about normal stuff, you laugh about stuff, but you also have some deeply spiritual conversations. Sometimes you laugh together and have a, a, a lot of fun, but other times you cry together and pray for one another. And you just invited people into that. In Romans 12, six to eight, it says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. And if it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. See, here's the thing. Evangelism... When Jesus talked about it, he talked about it in the terms of multiples, in a group. Evangelism works better in a group. Because, look, some of you can explain the Bible well. Some of you are outgoing and not afraid to meet new people. Some of you are quiet and not very outgoing, but you're a great listener. Some of you would never try to preach but you're a great encourager. You know, it's almost like the Spirit gave us these different gifts so that we could use them so people would come to know Jesus. It's almost like God gave us a bunch of different gifts so that when all those gifts work together, it really works best so that people could come to know Jesus. Because, look, I, I can preach the word reasonably well, I think, because you pay me to do it. But some of you, if I was like, all right, next week you're preaching, you'd go, next week? No, I'm not. You know, and that's fine, because not all of you are supposed to be preachers. Some of you are quiet, so you're a great listener. Some of you are great encouragers. What if an unbeliever got around you and your group of Christian friends or your family with all those different gifts and all those different personalities working together and they had these friends that were good at listening and encouraging and giving and being outgoing and introduces them to everyone and shares the Bible with them and one has the gift of evangelism so they're asking them about their relationship with Jesus. What if that happened in your small group of people that has all these different gifts and you're inviting people into that? What if evangelism was a group effort? Because no one person can be all those things. But the group of you can. 
What if instead of evangelism being a project or a program or a ministry, what if the gospel happened while ordinary Christians doing ordinary things together with gospel intentionality began to just invite other people into it? What if evangelism was a team effort in the fellowship? See, that is a whole lot less intimidating to me because I'm good at talking, but sometimes I'm not real good at listening. Sometimes I can be outgoing if I have to, but naturally I just kind of just do my thing. But if we're all doing it together and, we have, and we're coming at it from all these different perspectives, then the gospel and, and evangelism becomes easy. And there's churches doing this. I, I was reading a book uh, where people, I was reading a book is, is, uh, by Tim Chester and Steve Timmis. And they talk about these families in their churches that are living out this kind of thing and, and just reading these stories that got me excited because I thought, you know what, we can do this. We, we've got friends that we can hang out with, invite people. So I just, as we close this morning, I just want to read you a couple of these stories. It says, Al and Lissa met when they both volunteered at a local thrift store. Al had grown up in a non-Christian home and was indifferent to Christianity. But when Lissa invited him to a game night at their house, he readily agreed. It was Al's first introduction to our Christian community. He became a regular at game night. He started joining in with other things we were doing. And it soon stopped being just Lissa's friend because he got to know all of us. He started asking questions, attending church, and coming to Bible studies. Six months later, he was baptized. John invited Simon to a barbecue. It wasn't too long in the evening before Simon realized that quite a few people there were Christians. He'd never known so many Christians, but they seemed okay. He was actually enjoying the evening and wasn't opposed to watching a game with them on the weekend when they suggested it. He struggled to put his finger on it, but there was a sort of underlying gentleness the way they related. He hadn't experienced it before. Cool, he thought himself thinking, though he wasn't sure what to make about their conversations about Jesus. Days later, John was pleased to hear Simon's voice on the other end of the phone. He was even more pleased to learn that Simon had spent the previous day with people from the church. But that didn't prepare him for what Simon was about to tell him. Hey, I got into a bit of a heavy conversation with Jake and Tracy. I wasn't sure what to make of it from the start, but their answers to my questions made, me, made some sort of sense, I guess. The hardest thing to argue is the kind of lives you all live. I've never seen anything like it. So I, I hope you don't mind, but I agreed to start looking at the Bible with them for a couple of hours. Mind? John, John had to keep himself from shouting hallelujah, or at least hold off till he put the phone down. Another story. For six months, Fiona had been trying to get one of her friends to come to church. 
Luke was reluctant to come to a church meeting, but he got involved in the community, in their community in other ways, going to the movies, watching football at the pub, sharing some meals, jogging, mountain biking. When he eventually came to church, Fiona wasn't even there, but he already knew 90% of the church. What he experienced there was not all that different what he had done with them before, except now they sang some songs and studied the Bible. Luke's now a Christian. Let's pray.